what we just sung is very true. What we just sung is is uh, where we want to get to. But the reality is we have to go through a week. We have to go through a week to again sing that song, again proclaim that promise, again proclaim not just a promise, but proclaim the victory that Jesus Christ accomplished for us. And it starts today, it starts with Palm Sunday, it starts with this amazing entrance that Jesus Christ had into Jerusalem. And oftentimes when we think of significant events and we think of significant people and they're being welcomed, we see on TV that they have a red carpet that will be laid out for them, and they will walk across that red carpet. But I don't know if you know the origination of that story. It was not exactly a fantastic way to enter in, especially with the end result. About 2,500 years ago, a Greek play was written, and the main star of that play, or the main actor of that play, or main character of that play, I should say, was a guy by the name of Agamemnon. And he was a Greek king, and he went, or, or he was a king, and he heads off to, to fight in the Trojan Wars in this play. And, and as, as he leaves, he's gone for a long period of time. He falls in love with a woman who is not his wife. He left her back, back, uh, back at home. And he falls in love with her, and, and it becomes a very interesting dilemma for him. Because not only did he fall in love with her, but he also wanted to win this victory. And so in the process of falling in love with this woman, he makes a deal with the gods. Makes a deal with the gods that he would sacrifice his 15-year-old daughter for gods, for the gods to provide wind in his sails so that he could get to where he needed to go. So Agamemnon makes this deal, sacrifices his daughter, and you can only imagine what Agamemnon's wife was thinking. How dare he? First, he falls in love with someone else, and then he sacrifices our daughter all for the sake of this war. So she decided to do something that would definitely catch him by surprise. In the process of her working on this plan that she had, she fell in love with a different individual. She forgot that she had her own issues, she had her own indiscretions, and she looked right past those as she put this plan together. And when Agamemnon came back home, he was all, he was, he was welcomed with just people saying how great this this king is, and then his wife threw him a gigantic curveball. As he made the turn to enter into the courts, enter into that walkway, she laid out for him a red carpet. The red carpet caught him by surprise. Because any time a red carpet was used at this particular time, it was to honor the gods. Agamemnon's wife knew that her husband had an ego problem, and she decided to confront him with that ego problem as he entered in. He said these words upon seeing that red carpet. He said this, I am a mortal, a man. I cannot trample upon these tinted splendors without fear thrown in my path. 
He knew by going down this carpeting, this red carpet, he knew that he was treading on land or, or a space that was reserved for the gods. But yet he had an ego issue, remember? And so he walked down that red carpet. And at the end of that red carpet, his wife had it set up that he would be attacked and killed. That is the first story of the red carpet. Now when we talk about rolling out the red carpet for people, people don't sit there and think, well, that means I'm going to be killed by the time I get to the end of it. But you see how things have changed. This red carpet was rolled out. It was, it was a matter of significance. It was, it was such a grand way to welcome someone. And that's what has happened over the years. Now presidents walk down a red carpet. And the Oscars just happened a few weeks ago. And we see these celebrities walk down the red carpet. Because what is happening is a, is a very significant event. But I would submit to you that about 2,000 years ago, there was a far greater welcome than any red carpet could ever do. It was a welcome that involved palm branches and cloaks. It was a welcome that brought Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. It was a welcome that said, we believe that you are the King of Israel. I invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 12. We pick up the, the experience at verse 12, where John writes these words, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard what he had, that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Father, we pray now. As we come into this time of looking at your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we may see. Open our ears that we may hear. Open our minds that we may understand. And open our hearts in such a way that we, with great enthusiasm, say, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, move in our lives in amazing ways. Holy Spirit, do your work, and may no one hear anything that I say, but may they only hear what it is that you want them to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every significant event that happens in a person's life is there's an anticipation that goes with it there's an anticipation of a countdown. I remember as a little kid when, when we were getting ready to go on vacation, it was weeks away, I would, I, would I would X out the days on my calendar until that came to, uh, to fruition. 
And now they even have apps on your phone where you can insert a date, a, a significant event, and, and it will do a countdown. And on my phone right now, I'm using that app because on June 1st, my oldest daughter gets married, and so I'm counting it down, looking forward to June 2nd when the event will be over and I won't have to continue paying money for something. Never mind, I'm not going down that path. I'm very grateful she's getting married. She's marrying a great guy. But what a racket the wedding business is. So here, here we have it. Back to where we need to be. Every significant event has this anticipation that goes with it. And for John, he comes to this place in his gospel where he says, the time is now. I've told you these different events that have happened in Jesus' life. I started within the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. I started there and we've moved through. I've, I've given you all these different miracles. And now we've come to the place where the time is now. The time is now for this event to happen. The time is now where we need to realize that Jesus Christ has come to do something that he could only do. And part of the issue as you read John's Gospel is there's a phrase, and it's, it's not necessarily said this way, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, but in John's Gospel there's this refre- repeated phrase that his time had not yet come. Jesus would do these different events and people would think, now's the time, now's the time, now's the time. And John says, no, 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 calm down. The time had not yet come for him. And we see this over and over again in his gospel. And then we come to John chapter 12, and, and all of a sudden John says, now is the time for this to happen. And you think that it's going to be over in a matter of just uh, in a matter of a few verses, that we've come to this event, let's talk about it, let's move with it. But I want you to notice something about John's gospel. We come to this place where the time has come, and it's in John chapter 12. John's gospel is 21 verses long, 21 chapters long. Grasp this. John's gospel spends 60% of his time on the final 168 hours of Jesus' life. This week is significant. The time has come. Jesus Christ, throughout the Gospel of John, he has walked through Israel. He's lived this robust, adventure-filled life. He's, he's fed over 10,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He's changed water into wine. He's touched people's lives in such a way where a mute person was no longer mute, where a deaf person was no longer deaf, where a blind person was no longer blind. And this final thing that happens in John chapter 11, Lazarus, he brings Lazarus back to life. And you're sitting there every single time saying, Let's get to the point, let's get to the point, let's get to the point. Well, now it's happened. And John spends an amazing amount of time on the final 168 hours of Jesus' life. This week matters. What happens throughout this week matters. What do you think is significant? What do you think is important to John? This week. This week is what is important to John. You'll notice in John's Gospel, there's no birth narrative. There's nothing about his childhood whatsoever. But he wants people to say, this is it. 
I encourage you this week as, as we go through it to spend some time looking at the latter parts of, of your Gospels, of, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and seeing the emphasis that every one of these writers places upon these last 168 hours of Jesus' life. Because now his time has come. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that, was, that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. We do a little meet and greet time here at the beginning of every service, but i got to tell you, this is a meet and greet time for the ages. There is no greater meet and greet than this particular event. It was Passover time when this happens. And the population in Jerusalem goes from 30,000 people to 150,000 people. There was an enthusiasm in this type, in this, in this city during this particular time. And I was trying to come up with some type of an example. It would be comparable to what happens here when Streets of Bethlehem happens. Where 10,500 people show up for this event. There's all types of enthusiasm. You feel it in the church. You hear, you have different people involved with different, uh, different aspects of it, led by Mark Rollins and, and his crew. They do a marvelous job. But there's all this enthusiasm. There's all this excitement. Well, that pales in comparison to the amount of enthusiasm and excitement that was going on during Passover in Jerusalem every single year. A town of 30,000 explodes by five times to 150,000 people. No rooms in, in hotels, no rooms in the inn at all during that time. There's an excitement there. And so these people, and I want you to notice this, the next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. What we have here is a bunch of people who have shown up and perhaps they've not seen Jesus in action yet. They haven't seen him physically, but they've heard about him and they say, we need to go out and see him. They've heard about all these different things that he's done, which leads to this question. What have people heard you say about Jesus Christ in your life today? What have people heard you say as you live out this life for Christ? What do people hear you say about what difference Jesus Christ has made in your life? Do they hear the joy of what He's brought you? Do they hear about the incredible peace that He's brought you when, different, when difficulties are happening in your life? Do they hear the strength that He's given you when you face different addictions and different battles and different, different hardships? To keep on going. Do they hear about that? Or do you not say anything? Do they not hear anything about Jesus Christ? These people went out based on what they had heard about Jesus Christ. And as Jesus makes this turn into Jerusalem, they greet him and we're told this, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. Palm branches. We talked about a red carpet earlier. What's so significant about palm branches? They took palm branches out, and palm branches represent a couple of things. Number one, they represent goodness. 
And number two, they represent victory. These people had gone out and they had an idea of this Messiah. They had an idea that this long-awaited one was finally here. His time had now come. So they bring out palm branches, in essence proclaiming to the Romans that we have victory and He is here right now. Those palm branches weren't simply something that they, that they couldn't find anything else to do and they just said, let's wave these around. There was an intentionality about it. Remember, 150,000 people are now in Jerusalem. There's tension in that, in that city. And now you have this issue of this king coming in and they make these bold proclamations. People were on high alert. The Roman authorities were on high alert as they saw this processional. As Jesus entered into this city with palm branches being waved before him. And then John connects, begins to connect some dots by, by saying what they said. And, and they, their first proclamation is, Hosanna, which means save now. We're tired of being oppressed by the Romans. We're tired of being, being treated so poorly. We're tired of 80%, 80% tax rate. We're tired of all this. Hosanna, save us now. And then they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I invite you right now to turning your Bibles to Psalm 118. And listen to this entire psalm. And, and this is what this psalm would be read as people approach Jerusalem. And listen to what it says here. And I'm going to read the entire psalm. It says this, give thanks to Yahweh for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say His love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say His love endures forever. People needed to be reminded of that. For 400 years, God's been silent, yet every time they entered in Jerusalem, they had to remember that God's love endures forever. Verse 4, let those who fear Yahweh say His love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to Yahweh. He brought me into a spacious place. Yahweh is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Yahweh is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in Yahweh than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in Yahweh than to trust in princes. I want you to grasp what's going on here. As Jesus is entering in, they're, they're, they're sharing this, this particular phrase out of Psalm 118, but the beauty of Psalm 118 is a reminder to the Jewish people, it's a reminder to the Israelites that no government is more powerful than this God that we serve, this God whose love endures forever. Verse 10, all the nations surrounded me, but in the name of Yahweh I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of Yahweh, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as, as burning thorns. In the name of Yahweh, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but Yahweh helped me. Yahweh is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. Yahweh's right hand has done mighty things. Yahweh's right hand is lifted high. Yahweh's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live. And will proclaim what Yahweh has done. Oh, Christ died on that cross. Yet three days later, He lives. 
Yahweh has chastened me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to Yahweh. This is the gate of Yahweh through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Yahweh has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Yahweh has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Yahweh save us. Yahweh grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. From the house of Yahweh, we bless you. Yahweh is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good. His love endures forever. And so as people cried out, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They are remembering back to this powerful psalm. They are remembering back that no government can conquer them. They are remembering back to all this joy that they can have now that their king has come and now that his time has arrived. Jesus, knowing this, then says this. We pick it up in verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. In Zechariah chapter 9, starting at verse 9, we read this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. And notice this next line. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. There's a connecting of dots going on at this particular time. The dots are that Jesus Christ is this long-awaited one. The time has now come, and Jesus hops on a donkey. I don't know if he hops or not, but he gets on a donkey. And in the process, the people are realizing the end is here. He's arrived. The time has come. This is good news. We are grateful for that. And they cry out these incredibly powerful statements. But yet, if you're like me, you say, a king coming in. On a donkey. A king coming in on a donkey. That doesn't seem very impressive. There's a reason why he came in on a donkey. If he were to come in on a horse, it says this, that I have come to conquer you with violence. But coming in on a donkey, he comes in peace. What's going on in your life right now where you need this king? This king who came in on a donkey. This king who came in with incredible humility. This king who came in and said, I come in peace. I come to bring you peace. And you feel this enthusiasm, you feel all this excitement about what's going on. And, you're, and, and as you read through this encounter, you come to verse 16 and you're, you're feeling really good about things that he's come. And then John has to remind us 
that some people didn't get it. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. The, the, the disciples could not see the forest because of the trees. They were so involved in what Jesus Christ was doing. And as you read through the Gospels, you see the disciples. They're trying to figure this out, but they can't quite figure it out. And they can't see the big picture. They don't see what the reality of what Jesus Christ is about to do. And the sad truth of the matter is this for all of us. God is always at work, yet sometimes we do not see it. Right now, God is at work in your life. God is trying to awaken you. God is trying to say, this is a a magnificent event of what my son Jesus Christ did, and you're missing the point. You're so wrapped up in yourselves, you're so wrapped up in what you think needs to happen, what you think doesn't need to happen, but I'm here to tell you people that my God, my Son, has come to rescue you. But the disciples could not see it. Do you? Do you see it? Do you see the significance of what He has done? And then we go to some of our favorite people in the Gospels, known as the Pharisees. Verse 17, Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Lazarus, Lazarus' death was, was, was final. And then Jesus speaks into the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out and word spreads that this Messiah, this Jesus, can even bring back the dead. As you read through John's Gospel, you see different miracles. And with each miracle, it's greater than the one prior. And so now we have Lazarus who's come back from the dead. Jesus Christ brought him back from the dead. And people are thinking, this is incredible. There is nothing greater that could happen. There's nothing great, there's no greater miracle than what Lazarus experienced. Yet, John has set us up in such a way to say, you haven't seen anything yet. At the end of this week, there will be a resurrection that makes Lazarus' resurrection look like kids' play. Because the one who's going to rise from the dead is the very one that you're about to put on a cross. And so people heard this word about about Lazarus, and and we see this encounter that the the Pharisees are having. And and i got to tell you, as as I read through the Gospels, I sit there and say, why don't the Pharisees just wave the flag already and say, we lose? But here's why. The Pharisees could not get past what they thought to be true. They couldn't get past their own thoughts of what God could do and what God would do. And every single time we have an encounter, almost every single time we have an encounter between Jesus Christ and the Pharisees, the Pharisees are having their perspective blown away because Jesus Christ has come to do what only He can do. All the threats, and they had threatened people after this, after Lazarus' resurrection, after he was brought back to life, they had threatened people and just said, listen, you say anything about this, we will kill you. But notice what happens. The threats don't work at all. 
the ongoing threats of keep speaking about Jesus and you're in trouble. And they said, we're going to keep talking about him. And this miracle of Lazarus is nothing compared to what's about to happen in a matter of 168 hours. Nothing at all. And the Pharisees come to this conclusion in verse 19. They say, they say this, So the Pharisees said to one another, one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. And these next words are incredibly prophetic. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The whole world's gone after him. They haven't gone after us. They haven't gone after our teaching. They haven't gone after our lives. They haven't gone after anything that we've done. The whole world has gone after him. Jesus Christ's enemies acknowledge that what Jesus Christ has done is unstoppable. And little did they know that in 168 hours, that this movement that they had proclaimed about the whole world going after him, little did they know that in 168 hours, when Jesus Christ rises from the dead, oh, the whole world's going to go after him. Because our Jesus took on death, took on sin, conquered it all, rose from the dead, and he lives today forever. And he continues changing lives to this very moment. So I ask you this morning, as we enter into this week, where people went out with palm branches and they welcomed Him into Jerusalem, where people said, Hosanna, save us now, where people said, blessed is the King of Israel, where people said, blessed is the One who comes in the name of the Lord, will we go after Him as well? Will we say to Him, my life is Yours. I need the resurrected one to save me now. This Holy Week is not a bunch of events that we simply go through and say it wasn't that nice. This Holy Week is to remind us of the significant event of Jesus Christ coming to rescue humanity. Do you need to be rescued today? Do you need to turn to Jesus and say, Save me now. Father, we pray. As we process through these words, as we process through this amazing event of you coming into Jerusalem to finish what you came to do. Lord, we pray as we process this that you would be front and center. That you would remind us that your love endures forever. That battles may rise against us, that people may come against us, that life may come against us at times. But yet, no matter what comes, your love endures forever, and we know that to be true because of Jesus Christ. So Lord, wherever we are in this, if we don't understand fully the significance of what you've done, or perhaps we're even against what you've done, Lord, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would break into our lives to save us now. That this Holy Week would be a week unlike any other in our lives where we are rescued by you. Lord Jesus, thank you that the time has come.
And thank you for doing what only you could do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to sing a couple more songs and uh, invite the band to come up. And I invite you to stand as we sing these songs and, and reflect on what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us in a way that uh, only he could do.